yes, 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 yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God been good to you? And I was thinking last night it would be a great thing today if we could take a moment. I want you to think about one person in your life. If they hadn't been for that person, you wouldn't be in church or living for God right now. Anybody know who that person is? Lift up your hand. Here's what I think we ought to do. We ought to give thanks to the Lord and call their name right now, whether they're living or dead. Thank you, Lord, for letting that life come in contact with my life. That's helped me become what I am, Lord. Thank you. Oh, Lord, thank you for the influences that have brought us to where we are today. We're thankful, God, for those who have helped us. Men who have kept us on their feet. Oh, yes, Lord, I praise you today for everyone. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. If that person happens to be in this church house today, I think it would be fitting for you to make your way to them when service is over and just let them know. You, as, as it was said of Job, his friends who looked at his life said, your words, Job, have kept men on their feet. And I think it is fitting that we take a moment and just thank God for the people that have helped keep us on our feet. They've kept us going. When things were not well, when things were not going our way, somebody came alongside and put a hand on our shoulder or made a phone call or made a text to us and it turned us around. Aren't you thankful for that kind of influence today. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Most importantly today, we are thankful for the presence of God that we feel in this place and the liberty. I love the freedom to worship. I don't like being restricted. Uh, Obviously, I will never do very well if somebody gives me 10 minutes That's all most church service sermons are reduced to is 10 minutes. And I've been told if you can't say it in 10 minutes, you need to get off the stage. Well, some things take more time than that. Yeah. There's a reason that the runway at Intercontinental is as long as it is because there's some planes it takes a while to get off the ground. They're not the puddle jumpers that you might get in and just take a quick trip. Those are the ones that take you to the far places of the world that we love. God bless you. I know you're waiting for the word, but I'm going to let you be seated for a moment. I do want to ask you to turn to the book of Psalms 118, and we're going to read the entire chapter, Psalms 118. But before we do that, let me say that it's good to see you in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Don't ever think that your presence doesn't matter. Your presence matters. 
And I want you to understand from the outset that I have not come today to preach to you a polished sermon. I, I come to you with the simplicity of the gospel. I was thinking this week about all of the things that a, a, a preacher goes to to put together the thoughts and to try to comprehend what the scripture is saying to us and make it effectual in our lives so that it, we can relate to it. And I realize that most messages that God puts in my heart are too big for my heart. And they're too large for my intellect. And I feel like I'm grasping for things at times because the subject is too great. Uh, the well is too deep. And uh, I, I don't have a long enough rope to reach the depth of the well. But I, I get a bucket full of it and I realize that there's more of that in, in, in God and in what He can do. And I believe that every message, sermons are not the same. Sermons are dead and dry and they are, uh, they are filled with many things that perhaps are not essential. But a message is different. It is very to the point and uh, there's not always a lot of superfluous wording that is put with it. It's sometimes just a simple command, thou shalt not. And uh, it behooves us to pay attention to what the word of the Lord has said. So with that in mind, let me also say that I am... I'm not coming to you this morning as a door-to-door salesman trying to introduce to you a problem you didn't know you had so I can sell you something I'm trying to sell. I'm not, I'm not here for that purpose. I am here for the purpose of helping you have your eyes opened. I am here today to try to stir something within your spirit that would challenge you to reach out and take hold of something in God's Word and bring it into your own life and into your own situation and say, God, I believe you're talking to me. I need to hear what you're saying. I want to know what my action should be. I want to know what my next move is. I am not a dispenser of fear today so that I can sell you hope. I am come as a dispenser of hope that I might dispel your fears. And there is a big difference. I'm not interested in selling you something that will help you limp better. I want to give you something that will take the limp out of your life. I want to give you something that will cause you to look at those crutches that you've been depending on and say, I don't need those crutches anymore because he said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And I believe what his word is declaring to me in this moment of my life. Amen. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life 
and that you might have it more abundantly. I don't even know how to adequately plumb the depth of that. But I do know that when I drop the bucket in, I find no bottom. I listen, but I can't find that there is a depth at which there is a bottom. It goes forever and ever because the life that God wants to give me and that He wants to give you is a life that is overflowing and abundant and blessed and favored and filled with His goodness and mercy. And some of you are looking at me right now and saying, Brother Hughes, you must be talking to somebody else because my life is filled with adversity and trouble. You know what the problem with adversity and opposition is? The lesson is written on the backside. You don't understand its purpose until it has passed. And you look back and you realize if it had not been for the Lord on my side, if it had not been for that problem in my life, I would not be where I am today because it was that problem that made me reach out to Him. It was that situation that I could not find an answer to. Praise God. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Brother Greg Peden was relating to me the other day, and I know all of the church is aware of what they're going through. Sister Ellen had surgery this morning to remove a tumor, or this, t- t- this week, not this morning, but this week, to remove a tumor from the central part of her brain and very delicate area. Uh, it was a, a very stressful situation, but he was relating to me that he has a problem himself that he's dealing with, a problem that he was not even aware of, that he wouldn't even be aware of if it had not been for his wife having a problem. And they made an agreement. I'm having trouble and you're having trouble, so let's go see the doctor and let's see what's going on in our life. And if it hadn't been for one trouble... The other trouble would never have been discovered. And what we seem to fail to understand is that in living for God, life is a continual classroom where God is trying to teach us things about overcoming and overcoming every situation. But if we are not careful, life instead of being our teacher, becomes our tormentor. Because we fail to understand that God's hand is in that. God's hand is on me. And there is nothing that has come into my life that has not first passed by His approval. Do you understand that today? The devil does not have free access to your life. The only access he has is the access that God gives him or you give him. He is not omnipotent. I'm going to mess it up now. He's not omniscient. 
He's not all powerful. He is a created being that has limited power. As a matter of fact, all of the power that the devil has, God gave it to him in the beginning. And he does not have the ability to recreate power. If we could understand that one principle, it would free us from the tormentor today. He doesn't have power to do all the things that we give him credit for. Well, the devil did that. The devil doesn't have the power to do that. The devil takes advantage of that because you give that access. You speak that out of your mouth and when you speak that out of your mouth, it's like opening a door and saying, come on in, devil. Take advantage of me. So the devil's power is limited. The only thing he can do is what he's allowed to do. So if we learn that principle, we learn why Paul said, Brother Long mentioned it last Sunday night. I almost jumped up and shouted. If I, neither give place to the devil. Don't give him the opportunity or the privilege to wreck your life. He doesn't have the power to do that unless you give him access into your life. The good news is this. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He said, I have come to heal the brokenhearted. I have come to preach deliverance to the captive. I have come for the recovering of the sight to the blind. I have come to set at liberty them that are bruised. I have come to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What does that mean? That means... God's time is right now. Right now is God's time. This is not the devil's hour. This is God's time. This is the acceptable year. Amen. So let me, let me backtrack just a moment. It is a wonderful thing and what a blessing it is when faith is the driver of your life. Faith is the driving force in your life. When faith is behind the wheel, what a blessing it is to your life. And if you don't believe that, just go back and read some scripture. Read what happened when fear gets in the driver's seat. Read what happens when doubt gets in the driver's seat. Look at what happens when the tormentor is allowed to get in the driver's seat. Faith, when it's in the driver's seat of my life, when it is the driving force in my life, makes all the difference in the world. And I have to understand how powerfully influential faith is over every aspect of my life. Amen. And I need to also understand that 
There are enemies to the purpose that God has for my life. And that, the, that enemy is manifest in three areas. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the three areas that oppose what God's trying to do in my life. So it's not just the devil making you do it. A lot of times you're just doing it because you want to do it. I better hasten on. This unholy trinity is continually conspiring to frustrate God's purpose in your life. And if you allow it, it can create such havoc in your life that you would rather die than live. I want to make a statement to you right now that I hope will provoke your thinking. But how you and I view things in life will determine their influence or effect over our lives. How we view things will influence their effect on our life. So let's go to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 118, and we're going to start at verse 1. We're going to read. It's, a, it's an amazing psalm. It is sandwiched between the shortest chapter in the Bible and the longest chapter in the Bible. And it is the last of what is called the Egyptian halal or the Egyptian hallelujah chorus or the, the, the songs that were sung when they came out of captivity. And when they came to the temple for worship. As a matter of fact, most people believe that Psalms 113 through 118 were the songs that they sang. They're called songs of ascent. As they came from their different areas, they came to Jerusalem to worship. They would sing these songs. And many of them, like this one, is actually... A, a liturgical song where one group sings one phrase and another group answers to them. And, and so when you're reading it, you get this cadence of back and forth, this worship and praise that's going up as they jointly uh, talk about the blessings of God. So let's begin reading. And he said, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. Because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. And, I, and so you get this cadence. You hear one say, let the house of Aaron now say, and they would respond, the, the, the mercies of the Lord endureth forever. And so they're making their way up to Jerusalem, to the place of worship, and there is this joyfulness in their song and in their words. And they go on to say, the Lord is on my side. I 
will not fear what can man do unto me. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. Interesting combination of sentences. Brother Greg, maybe you can help me understand that later, but it seems to me like uh, there's a subtle message. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. And then the next thing he's talking about are those that hate him. Do you understand that sometimes your best friend is an enemy? Because it is that enemy... That friend doesn't have the ability to influence you like an enemy does, but that enemy can drive you to your knees. That enemy can put you on your face before God, seeking after Him to know what your next step is. And so here He seems to suggest that the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Well, man can try many things, but... He can only do what you let him do. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better, everybody say it is better, to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compass me about. But in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. And they compass me about, yea, they compass me about. But in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compass me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall. But the Lord helped me. Yeah. You have thrust sore at me. You have taken your best swing. Do you understand this today? That the best the devil can do against you, he's already tried on you. He's just trying to reinvent old weapons. He's just trying to go back and pull something out that used to work and try it on you again. But he's already limited. He doesn't have an unlimited supply of tricks up his sleeve. Do you? I'm trying to get that through. But you must understand, he is limited in what he can do in your life. Let me read on. The Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die. 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 Come on. Some of you need to say that right now. I shall not die. I shall not die. I shall not die. But live. Yeah. 
and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord, the Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not. Everybody say, he hath not. He hath not given me over unto death. Oh God, help. You know what? I can't, I can't embellish that. I, I can't add to that. The simple fact is that I am not going to die but live and declare the works of the Lord because God has not given up on me. He has not let me go. He is not going to ever let me go. Clap your hands to the Lord and give Him praise. Open to me the gates of righteousness and I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter, I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Oh, goodness. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Somebody say this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Clap your hands to the Lord and let's praise Him. Praise God. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord which hath shewed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God and I will praise thee. Thou art my God and I will exalt thee. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I think if you were listening and reading along with us that there is clear evidence in our text of who is on our side. There is clear proof that if God be for us, who? 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 Devil, you're a who. Who can be against us? Yeah. Sandwiched between these two psalms 
is found one of the most beautiful songs of history and prophecy that you will find in Scripture. It's loaded with so many rich jewels. And I don't want to get lost in them, but I do understand that they were, that there, there's, there's just so much there that you could not cover it in even a series. But many believed that these were the songs and the hymns and most scholars are of the opinion that the 118th Psalm in particular was the Psalm that Jesus and his disciples sang while they were in that upper room before he went to Gethsemane. And so in that moment, that prelude before Golgotha, where hell would unleash its fury, Jesus is singing this beautiful psalm about God's keeping power and God's ability that God is on my side. And if He is on my side, who who can stand against me? We don't even know who the author of the song was, but it doesn't really matter. Many understand that this psalm played a pivotal role in all of the Jewish spiritual life that when they came to this place of worship in Jerusalem, they sang these reminders of God's goodness. And as they drew near to the gates of the temple, they would shout out in praise, His mercy endureth forever. Let Aaron say, His mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say, His mercy endureth forever. And in proclaiming those facts, they were proclaiming their ability to keep them and help them and strengthen them. Amen. It is a song designed to lift your spirit and to lift your eyes higher and more clearly upon what they ought to be lifted and and focused on. Martin Luther is said to have had this particular psalm written out and hung on the wall of his office. It was named his favorite psalm. If you know anything about Martin Luther, he was involved in the Reformation that began earlier than that. John Wycliffe was part of that, that revelation that brought men out of, out of the, 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 the stronghold of a Catholicism that had strangled the spiritual life and taken the Bible away and had made penance and, and, and the priesthood the only means of salvation. And now they come to Declaring that the just shall live by their faith. And they come declaring that God's grace is what saves us. Not the penance to a man, but our repentance before God. And when they began to preach that message, they stirred up great opposition. They said that before John Wycliffe was, was, was martyred, that the priest came and sat in his room and asked him, 
Are you going to repent now? Are you going to make confession to us so we can take care of your sins that you have committed? And they said that he stood up in the presence of those men and he screamed out in a loud voice, I shall not die, but I shall live. And he laid down and was given to death. I'm here to tell you, there is a confidence and there is a boldness that comes when you realize my enemy is limited. He doesn't have unlimited resources to use against me. He doesn't have an unlimited knowledge to know how to come against me. The only thing he knows to do is take advantage of my weakness. And my weakness is that I have a tendency to take my eyes off of what really matters and get focused on things that really do not matter. You see, what you see affects your life in many ways, but most powerfully, it affects your life in what you say. It's not wrong to see it. What becomes a problem is when you start saying it. You start confessing it. You start admitting it. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I can overcome this. I, I, I don't know if I'm strong enough. I don't know if I know how to pray enough. I don't know if I know enough about God. I, I don't see how I can get out. I don't know a way out of this situation. And when you begin confessing stuff like that in your life, that is an open door for the devil to come in and create havoc in your life. But you today have the power to reverse that. And you have the power in your life today to stand and make a declaration over your life and that declaration is I shall not die I shall not die but I shall live and declare the wonderful works of God come on let's praise him together right now If you read the Psalms that we just read, you have to understand that amid all of the great things being said about God, there was recognition of an adversary. And it seemed to be the understanding of the psalmist that though God had allowed some things in his life, the enemy had taken advantage of those things. God's hand was on me to teach me the devil's hand was against me to torment me. God willed for me to learn something, to be strengthened by what I am going through. My enemy, on the other hand, tries to use it as leverage to drive a wedge between you and God and make you think that God must hate you or God must not like you or God does not love you or God does not care about you. And so amid his struggles, 
Amid this battle that went on at times within his own life, he saw the hand of God and then he saw the adversity. He saw the opposition. He felt God's blessing, but then he felt the blow of his enemy against him. He said, you struck at me. You struck at me. Verse 13, I believe it is. You struck at me trying to make me fall. That's what the enemy of my soul does. He strikes at me trying to make me fall. He cannot make me fall. He can only try to make me fall. And so his aim was to disrupt his life. His enemy was giving him his best shot. But amid these struggles, he makes this powerful declaration that I believe silences the voice of the tormentor in our life and silences the voice of the enemy that tells me I am unworthy and that I will never measure up and that others, all of these other people, they, they, they're just different than I am. They're not fighting the battles that I'm fighting. They're not facing the things I'm facing. They don't know what I had to go through to get where I am. They don't know my childhood. They don't know the torment of what I lived through. But I'm telling you today, people around you do know those things because such were some of you. But you are washed. But you are sanctified. Oh yeah, God has reached down in that mess and drew you out. And though there were forces that were working against him that was a threat to his life, he said, oh no, you're not taking me out. Because you don't have the power to take me out. You don't have the authority to take me out. The devil is a liar. Everybody knows that. So why do we believe all those whispers? Why is it that we believe the worst about somebody before we hear the best? It's just this weakness in our flesh. We have this tendency to lose focus. We have this tendency to take our eyes off of what really matters. And when we get our eyes on other things, it's easy to be confused. It's easy to be troubled by what you see around you. But if you will look back up and see Him, He will help clear all of that confusion from your eyes and help you understand that we are all here by the grace of God. And there's not one person in this building that's better than anybody else. I hate to bust your bubble, but I don't care what you drive. I don't care where you work. I don't care how much money you've got in your bank. I don't care how much influence you wield where you work. I don't care how much you know. I don't care what you think you are. When you come to Calvary, Calvary is level ground. The only one exalted in Calvary is the Christ who died for your sins and said, hey, if I can do it for you, I can do it for anybody else that I want to do it for. 
I'm not going to be long. I love this statement because it is a declaration of faith. It is a declaration of determination. The only way that I know to defeat despair in my life is with a determined outlook and a determined spirit. There has to be something in me that looks around at life as it is happening at this moment and realize that everything that is happening is within the scope of God's will for my life. He would not let something. The devil had to go get permission to do anything to Job before he could do one thing against God's man. He had to go to the throne and say, Hey, I need you to take that covering off of him. So what makes you think that he has unlimited access into your life unless you've given him a key? And we give them, we give him a key when we fail to realize the power of what comes out of our mouth. The power of death and life are where? In the tongue. So here's what happens. What I see begins to affect what I say if my focus is on the wrong thing. But when my focus is on the right thing, what I see does not affect what I'm going to say because I see him high and lifted up and his train that fills the temple. And I realize that through Christ, I am more than a conqueror. And so I can stand up on my feet and say, I shall live, I shall live, I shall not die. I shall not die. Hallelujah. This is what the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me yesterday. Sometimes you can't determine what you can do until you settle what you won't do. Some of us are struggling this morning and trying to live for God. And it's all because we're trying to do the right thing. But we've never stopped to consider what are some things that I will not do. I will not go back. I will not quit. What are your will nots this morning? What are the things in your life that you have determined, I am not going there. I have drawn a line and that's, it's not going to happen. There are some lines that need to be drawn in our lives this morning that will help propel us to be able to do what God has purposed for us to do. But it's not going to be settled until we settle the question of what we won't do. Oh well, I will not die. I will not quit. 
I will not go back. I will not give up. I will not stop worshiping Him. Brother, use all your doings expending energy, valuable energy. Well, that may be how you look at it. But this is how we overcome. This is how we win the victory. This is how we defeat our enemy. This is how we show our flesh and the world and the devil. Hey buddy, I got news for you. You aren't going to get this man. You're not going to turn me around and you're not going to turn me back. Come on, stand to your feet if you will. What set the chorus for Ruth's life is found in what she determined to not do. I will not go back. Wherever you go, I'm going. Wherever you lodge, I lodge. Your people, my people. And when she made that declaration, it opened a door in her life. Oh, my word. Oh, help me, Lord. The transforming moment of Jacob's life. Up until this moment in his life, Jacob was still a sneak, sleazy, Questionable, heel grabbing, take advantage of a weak brother person. But one night at a brook called Jabbok, an angel of the Lord laid hands on him and he realized that my life is going to be defined by what I refuse to do tonight. And he said, in the breaking of the day, the angel said, let me go for the day breaks. And Jacob said, oh no, oh no. I will not let you go. I will not let you go until you bless me It wasn't until that was said that God could then say to Jacob, no longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel, for you are a prince with power with God. That's the transforming power when you make up in your mind. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going there anymore. I'm not allowing access in that area of my life. Bartimaeus, tell me about what happened in your life. Well, I was where I always had been. There on the side of the road, just hoping for the mercy and the goodness of somebody passing by. But then I heard Jesus was coming. Hmm. I heard Jesus was coming 
And so I just decided this is my moment. This is my time. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. You better stop that. You're making too much noise, preacher. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the more they tried to quiet him down, the louder he cried, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The powerful part though is, the Bible said that he left his bed and he went to Jesus. That's what happens when you decide what you're not gonna do. I'm not giving up. I'm not turning back. I'm not quitting. I'm not throwing in the towel. I may be weak. I may be knocked down. I may be like I'm almost knocked out, but I'm not. I'm coming back. I'm going to get back on my feet because I hear somebody calling my name saying, come, come, come. I wonder how many in this building today could settle some tormenting issues in your life if you would just declare right now what you are not going to do. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I am not going back. I am not going back. I am not going to let you go until you bless me. I am not going to let you go until you touch me. I am not quitting. I am not stopping. Hallelujah. Reach over and take somebody by the hand that's with you right now. Holy Ghost, we need your presence right now more than anything else. Oh, we need your presence right now more than anything else. Hallelujah. I may not be sure of what I am going to do, but I do know what I'm not going to do. I will not go back. I will not go back. I will not go back. Somebody needs to prophesy over your own life today. I shall not die. 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 